Welcome to the LYA podcast. Liberty Young Adults exists to discover the community that you were created for and to follow the purpose God made you for. This podcast was created so that you can catch up on the sermons that you might have missed or just want to listen to again. Here's Pastor Corbett. Well, tonight we are starting a new series. Uh, If you have your Bible with you or if you have your phone out and you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, and uh, this is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, I think it, it shares a lot that is centered on the gospel and who Christ is, but it's also very practical and speaks into everyday life in ways that we can live out our faith. And so I'm excited for us to go on this journey together as we study through Colossians. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time tonight, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Pastor Corbett. I serve as the next-gen pastor here, and we're glad that you've joined us. We do this every Tuesday night. We gather at 7 to worship the Lord and just to dive into His Word and grow closer to Him and also to grow in community with one another so that we can encourage each other as we walk through this life. But tonight I want us just to go ahead and dive right into the text. We're going to look at the first two verses in Colossians to start with. Chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So most of you that have been here for a while know that whenever we start a new book or a new series, I like to give you a little bit of background so you can understand who's writing, who they're writing to, what are they talking about. Because with any book of the Bible that you read, it's important to know that there was an author that was inspired by God that was often writing to a particular people group addressing something that was going on in their culture. And so in order to get an accurate interpretation of what the passage is teaching, it's important for us to understand that. The reason I read those verses first is because sometimes when you get to a passage, it pretty clearly spells out who's writing and who they're writing to. And so right off the bat, we see that the author of this book is Paul. He describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. The word apostle means one who is sent out. The apostles, these were men that walked with Jesus. They were men that were there during his earthly life. They were men that witnessed the miracles that he did. They were men that were there when he was arrested and when he was crucified and ultimately that saw him after he was risen from the dead. The only one in Scripture that is described as an apostle that doesn't fit into that category is the Apostle Paul. But the apostles were men that were commissioned by Jesus to go and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Paul's the only one that we don't see that was pres- he was not present uh, during Jesus' earthly ministry and life. But what do we know about the Apostle Paul? He was a Jew. He was part of the religious crowd. And when we read uh, about his early life prior to his missionary journeys and things like that, he was zealous about persecuting the church. Paul was persecuting Christians. He was responsible for Christians that were being martyred and killed for their faith. And yet we see when you read in the book of Acts that the Apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus. And as he was traveling, this great light comes out, and and Paul falls to the ground, and he hears this voice that says, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he responds by saying, who are you, Lord? And then this is what he hears. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Jesus says, arise and go to this city, and I will show you what to do. 
Ultimately, the life of Apostle Paul was he was someone who was a persecutor of the church until he encountered Jesus in a miraculous way. And when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, shortly after, his sight was restored, and he was commissioned by God to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to be an ambassador for the gospel. If you know much about him, he ultimately went on to do uh, several missionary journeys. He planted a multitude of churches, and a good portion of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. Many of his writings were letters to churches, like we're going to read tonight. And so Paul is uh, an apostle that is writing to churches and encouraging them and maybe addressing different issues that are taking place in their community. Paul also says in this passage that he has a a co-author or he has someone that's with him. He says that he has Timothy with him. Timothy was really a disciple or someone that was learning from Paul. But who are they writing to? The recipient is the church at Colossae. Uh, The language that's used in this passage makes it clear that they're writing to believers. They are writing to people who are faithful in the church. Uh, This letter was written during Paul's Roman imprisonment, so around 62 AD. So you've got all this backstory, all this information. Hopefully it helps you. If not, maybe it'll help you in a trivia game, something. No, I'm kidding. But the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And he has Timothy with him, and they're addressing some issues within the church, some teachings that are challenging the church. And so I want us to look at what is the problem. The passage tells us that there's an individual, his name's Epaphras, and he's a church leader. He was likely the founder of the the Colossians church here. And he shared with Paul some bad news. He says there's some dangerous teachings that are circulating in the church, that there are uh, uh, some teachings that are going around that are threatening Uh, the true beliefs and the true practice of the church. And so as we read throughout the passage, we don't see exactly what these teachings are. There's a lot of theories out there. There's different religions that that people have said it's addressing, different people groups, uh, different false teachings. But regardless of what it is, we see that Paul is writing to the church to encourage them that in the middle of these false teachings, that when there's people within the church or within the community that are trying to challenge what you believe, this is what I want to encourage you with as the church. He responds to the false teachings by encouraging believers to progress in spiritual maturity. He doesn't minimize the threat, but he emphasizes the supremacy of Christ. And so in light of this problem, I believe that we see the Apostle Paul's heartbeat in the very first chapter of this book. So he's writing to a church that he cares about, that he wants to see them following Jesus. He wants to see them progressing to spiritual maturity, yet he knows that there's people that's trying to get them to believe the wrong way, to think the wrong way, so that they would depart from their devotion to Christ and their devotion to the faith. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He says that we proclaim Christ, warning and teaching that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the heartbeat behind this book. That the Apostle Paul says, we are proclaiming the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, so that we can warn you about false teachings, about false worldviews, about things in your culture and in potentially your church that could corrupt 
you and your walk with Jesus. But on top of that, we also are teaching you and urging you to progress towards spiritual maturity. Paul says that with this goal in mind, I toil and I struggle with all the energy that God supplies with me so that you might know him and progress in spiritual maturity. You see, in the book of Colossians, there's likely a lot of ideas in the city where they were living. There was likely a lot of ideas and philosophies and teachings and worldviews that were vying for their attention. There were likely ideologies out there that went against what the Word of God taught, that went against what the leaders in the church were teaching. And maybe people were starting to believe them. Maybe people were starting to believe that they needed something more than the gospel. Maybe they were starting to believe that there was something out there that could offer them more than a relationship with God. And Paul's writing to them, and he's saying, what you need is not a new teaching. What you need is not a new way. You need to progress towards spiritual maturity. You need to grow closer to God. You need to continue to live out and walk out your faith. And what I love about the verse I shared with you, the reason I jumped to the end of the chapter before we walk back through it, is I want you to see that this is really what the whole chapter in the book is moving towards. That Paul says, the call upon my life was that I give everything, that I struggle, that I toil, that I work with everything I have, with all the power and the strength that God has given me, so that people might know God and they might grow closer to him. And they might progress in spiritual maturity. And I want you to know that's the heartbeat of our ministry here. That's the heartbeat of our church. That we exist, we work, we stay here late on Tuesday nights, we invest our time because we want you to encounter Jesus. Because we know that there's no one like him. We know that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy the way that, that Jesus can satisfy. We know that there's nothing in this world worth living for other than living for the one true God. And we want you to encounter him. We want you to know him. And we want to help you grow in spiritual maturity and know what it means to follow him and to walk with him and to progress and become more like him. You see, the world that we live in is teaching you so many different things. It's telling you that it's all about how you feel. It's all about what you want. That it's all about making the most of what you've got right now. And it's all about what's best for you. And it's easy to, in the flesh, buy into that mentality and that mindset and start living your life that way. And so we may not be facing some of the same ideas and teachings as they were facing in Colossians, but there is a war on your mind. Every time you turn on your TV, every time you look at your, your phone, you're getting messages that are trying to impact the way that you think, which impacts the way that you live. And so the encouragement and the challenge from this series and from this message tonight is not that you need more of what the world has to offer, but we've got to continue to grow and to progress in spiritual maturity. And so I probably parked there too long and used a lot of time, but I want us to keep moving and seeing what God has for us through this passage. Let's go ahead and look at Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. It says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. 
just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The first thing that we're going to see in this passage is Paul's encouragement. Paul's encouragement to the church. In this portion of the passage, Paul shares with the church about how he thanks God for the work that he has done in their life, and he commends them for their faithfulness. There's really two areas that he commends them for, their faith in Christ Jesus and the love that they have for all of the saints. He tells them, we thank God as we pray for you because we've heard about your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. And, and, and then you see the passage kind of turns, and it says that this is a result of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. In other words, their faith in Christ and the love that they have for, for others flow out of a hope that they have in Jesus, a hope that their sins are forgiven, a hope that they have a relationship with God, a hope that one day heaven will be their home. And when we hear that word, it's easy for us to interpret that the wrong way. Because in our culture, we often will say, I really hope that this happens. I really hope that I can get off work early today. And it's not a certainty, but it's kind of something that we're wishing for or that we're longing for. But when we see this in Scripture in reference to someone who is a believer and a follower of Jesus, it's not simply a wishing or a longing, but it's an anticipation with confidence. There's this anticipation that we have something greater in store, that God's going to do what he said he would do. And so in this life, we can live with a hope that we have a, a relationship with God, that we have eternal life in him. And when you have that hope, it changes the way that you live your life. Then you're able to live with faith in him. You're able to live in a way that you love and care for other people, and you want them to experience the same hope that you have. But there's something else that's significant in that passage. He says the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. The hope is laid up in heaven. It's not something that depends on you. It's not something that resides on this earth. But it is a hope that is laid up in heaven. And therefore no earthly power or even demonic power could rob you of the hope that you have in Christ. Paul says that the hope or the confidence that you have is rooted in the gospel that it's rooted in the work of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Paul describes the gospel as something that they have heard before. He reminds them that this is something that you learned from Epaphras, and then he goes on and describes it as the word of truth, the gospel as the word of truth. And here's why that's significant. The reason he's writing to them is because they're struggling with false teachers. When you read in this book, you see that he describes the false teachers as sharing things that are empty deceit. And so he contrasts the false teachers with the gospel, which he describes as the word of truth. I believe Paul uses this phrase strategically. He says there's some in the church, in the community, that are trying to get you to believe a false gospel that's not true, that's not rooted in what Jesus has done, don't fall for it. In other words, in a world that is trying to convince you to believe wrong and to think wrong, to challenge your beliefs, remember what you've learned. And I want to use this truth from God's word that Paul uses to encourage the believers, to encourage you all as the church today, that in a world that is waging war on your mind, that is trying to get you to believe wrong, that is trying to get you to think wrong, that is trying to get you 
to stray away from what you know to be true. Remember what you've been taught. Remember the truth of the gospel. Remember what your hope is in. And the way that Paul reminds them through this is he says, it's bearing fruit in your life and it's increasing the same way that it is bearing fruit and increasing all around the world. That God is moving. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember the evidence of his faithfulness in your life. The changes, the transformation that has occurred as you followed him. And also look around and see how he's not only doing it in other people in this room, but in people all around the world that have placed their faith and their trust in him. Don't let the world deceive you. The gospel that you believe has not only borne fruit in your life, but it is doing so around the world. I believe that Paul is reminding them in the midst of a world that's full of lies, that's full of deception, hold fast to the truth. I want us to keep reading. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, it says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. In verses 9 through 14, Paul gives a detailed explanation of how he specifically prays for the believers within the Colossians church. The Apostle Paul has some of my favorite writings in Scripture. Because he is committed to praying for believers. He's committed to praying for the church. And what you see in many of his letters is that he gives a detailed, very specific way of, this is how I'm praying for you. And what you'll find as you read in other places, like Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians, and you, you read many of the different writings of Paul, is that he doesn't write and pray that God would deliver them from the hardships that they're facing. He doesn't write and pray that God would remove them from their difficult circumstances. He doesn't pray that God would do something with the uh, uh, wicked people that are persecuting them, but his prayers are always spiritual. He prays often that they would have boldness, that even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of hardship, that they would continue to share the gospel. He prays that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, that they would continue to remain obedient to God and his word. His prayers are that they would persevere spiritually and they would live a life that's pleasing to God, knowing that the struggles and the trials of this life are temporary, but there is something worth living for that is eternal. And so I want to encourage you as you read Scripture and as you see the prayers of the Apostle Paul to not only use them in your own prayer life, but to use them to pray for others. I'm convicted every time I read it just at how committed he is to pray for the people that he's leading and he's shepherding. And it's something that we all need to do is to be battling for one another in prayer. And so tonight I want to look at this passage and really break down the way that he prays for the church. Now, as much as I love Paul's writings, he is like the king of a run-on sentence. Like, sometimes it's hard to understand because it's like comma something else, comma something else, comma something else. And you're like, this is three paragraphs and it's still the same sentence. 
and I'm not sure what he's talking about now. But as we look at the remainder of this passage, I want you to see it two different ways. I want you to see this as a way that you can pray personally, but I also want to encourage you to use this passage to pray for others. So let's look at his prayer. The first thing we see is that the prayer focuses on wisdom. Paul says right at the beginning, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual means that you would have, uh, that you would have wisdom that is given to you by the Holy Spirit. But what is the desired outcome or result of this knowledge or this spiritual wisdom that Paul is praying for believers? He said, I'm praying that you have knowledge, that you have understanding, that you gain wisdom so that you can walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Paul prays that believers would have wisdom that leads to changed lives. This connects so much to what we talked about in Proverbs. Solomon is writing, saying there's a way that leads to life, and there's a way that leads to death. And you need wisdom to know which path you want to walk on. And Paul is saying, I am praying for believers that God would give you supernatural wisdom through his spirit working in you so that you would be able to discern what his will is and to live your life in such a way that it's worthy of him. The phrase to walk was a Jewish metaphor for behaving oneself. In that day, rabbis had an entire oral tradition that guided their behavior. And Paul comes from this background, and yet instead of, them, uh, instead of encouraging people to walk in this tradition, he encourages them to walk in a way that is fully pleasing to the Lord. What does it look like when we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It's to live our life in a way that pleases Him. To live our life in obedience to Him. And as we do that, the result is that our life bears fruit. Scripture says that you will know them by their fruit. If you are a true follower of Jesus, you will bear fruit. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. So he says, I pray that they would have wisdom so that they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing much fruit. And then it says something interesting, increasing in the knowledge of God. It comes full circle. He says, I'm praying that you would have wisdom so that you can live your life the way that God's called you to live. And then as you live your life the way that God has called you to live, your life begins bearing fruit, and the result is that you continue to increase in knowledge. You continue to increase in understanding. You continue to learn and grow closer to him. Remember the main point that we talked about at the beginning. Paul said his goal is to help believers grow in spiritual maturity. And so when you look at this passage, he is praying directly towards that. If you want to progress towards spiritual maturity, you need the wisdom and understanding of God to lead you towards living a life that is pleasing to him. And as you do that, you will continue to increase in knowledge. The first thing that he prays for believers is that they would have wisdom. The second thing that he prays for is strength. It says being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Listen to that one more time. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What is he saying there? You can't do it by yourself. Your strength is not enough to live your life in a way that's going to be worthy of the Lord or fully pleasing to him. 
Paul is praying that believers would be strengthened not with their own strength, but according to the power that comes from God. If you ever watch kids, they have no sense of like how heavy things are. Like, I feel like I always tell you guys a story about my kids, but that's the season that we're in. We have a four-year-old, and like he doesn't know what he can't pick up versus what he can pick up. And so like we can come home with a box that's like three times his size. And if he thinks there's something in there that he's going to like or something that he gets to play with, he's like, oh, I can carry that. I can carry that. Like he wants to grab the box and carry it even though like he can't lift it off the back of the car. But he thinks like, oh, that's mine, and I'm, I'm going to take that and carry it. On the flip side, he's gotten smart to where, like, if he's not interested in it, it can be really small, and he could easily pick it up, and he'll go, no, Daddy, that's too heavy. That's too heavy. I can't get that. And so the reality is, is many times for kids, they don't have a, a concept of, like, I'm strong enough to pick that up versus I'm not capable of picking that up. Sometimes in life, there's tasks there's burdens, there's callings that are placed on your life that they're too heavy for you to carry alone. You can't do it by your own strength. You can't do it by your own power. And Paul says, I pray that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. But he prays specifically towards two things. He prays that they would be strengthened and that they would have power for endurance and for patience. Endurance and patience. You see, the reality is this life is hard. Living for Jesus isn't easy. Most people around you aren't going to see the world the way you see it. There are going to be false teachers that attack you. There are going to be people that ridicule you. The people closest to you at times are going to let you down. You may even be persecuted for what you believe. There are times where you might feel weary even when you're trying and you're giving your best effort. You need God's power in your life because he has called you to something that is more than you can do on your own. You need God's power in your life because he has called you to something more than you can do on your own. And if the life that you're leading right now is capable by your own strength and by your own power, then I would dare say that you're not walking in God's will for your life because God has something greater for you. Because he's called each one of us to make disciples, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's not something that we can do by our own strength. We need his strength working inside of us. It's bigger than you, but you can endure when you're strengthened by his power. The second thing is interesting. He says patience. Some of you are ready to amen right now because you have someone in your life right now that is testing your patience. Like, you're saying I need Jesus to give me your power, like, give me your power. I need your strength because I want to punch this person in the face right now. I'm like, it may be somebody at work. It may be the person next to you. Don't hit them in here. Like, we don't want to be responsible for that. But maybe there's a, something in your life that you're just, like, waiting for, that you're uh, relying on, and you're saying, amen. Like, I need strength. I need power. I need God's power in me. But I think it's important to note about these two things. That Paul prays that individuals, that he's urging towards spiritual maturity, that they would have strength for endurance and for patience. That they would have strength so that they can endure and so that they can be patient. And these are things that reflect the fact that they are progressing in spiritual maturity. But there's another phrase here. It doesn't stop there. He says, for endurance and patience with joy. 
In other words, the way that you do it matters. You can endure the challenges of this life, and you can have patience with joy when you're filled with the power of God, and your hope is not set on the things of this life, but it's set on Jesus and what he has already done. You see, this passage initially caught me off guard, because when I think about endurance and even like being patient, I don't think about that being something that I'm joyful about. Like to endure is like, I'm just going to get through this, you know? Like this is hard, but I'm going to try to make it. To endure is like, I'm not really looking forward to that one. It's going to be kind of hard. Also, like patience is probably not my strong suit. I'm like, why can't we do this faster? I got things to get to. We need, we, we need an answer quicker. What are we waiting on? But it says, these are things that we are to do with joy. Endurance and patience with joy. And those are things that exemplify a godly life. And the purpose is, as I just stated, so that you might live a godly life, that you might persevere, and that you might resist temptation. So we see that Paul calls us to pray for wisdom so that we can live in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. He calls us to pray for strength so that we can endure and we can have patience and our, we can do that with joy and our life can reflect Christ. But then the third part of his prayer changes a little bit. He gives thanks. He gives thanks. I want to scroll back up and read that part, and we'll come back down. It says, Given thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He gives thanks to the Father for what he's done. He gives thanks to the Father for what he's done to make it possible for these believers to even have a relationship with God. When's the last time you spent time just thanking God that you can even know him, that you can go to him in prayer, that your sins are forgiven? Maybe let's spin it in another direction. When's the last time that you spent time thanking God for your closest friends and the fact that God has done a work in their life? if your friend's a believer. Paul is praying, and he says, God, I thank you that you delivered them from the domain of darkness, that you didn't leave them where they were, but instead you've sent your son Jesus to go to the cross and to die in their place and to offer them salvation and forgiveness. And because of that, they have received an inheritance with the saints. You see, an inheritance is something that's passed down typically to an heir, a child, when someone passes away. But what this passage makes clear is there's not anything that we've done or that we are or that we can do to earn an inheritance for us to become the children of God. But the only way that we are able to have that inheritance and to be among the saints is because of what Jesus has done that he went to the cross, that he paid for my sin and my shame so that we could be called God's children. And we only receive that inheritance when we place our faith and trust in him and when we make him the Lord of our lives. And Paul says, I thank you for the work that you've done, that you have rescued these believers from the domain of darkness, that you didn't leave them where they were, but you made a way. So tonight, I want to encourage you 
as we conclude this portion, to give thanks for all that God has done to rescue you from where you were. But maybe there's some others in the room that this is a realization, that we've talked a lot about what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to walk in a manner that's worthy of Him. And maybe tonight as we've talked about this, you've realized that there's a God that loves you so much that He doesn't just leave you where you're at, but He's made a way for you to be set free, to become His child, to receive an inheritance that is set aside only for His children. And maybe tonight as we've talked about this, you've thought to yourself, I want to be a part of His family. I want to know God. I want to have that hope that you talked about earlier. I want to encourage you tonight, don't leave without talking to someone. You can come and talk to me after the service. You can talk to any of our life team who's wearing lanyards. Um, If you see someone up here that's leading worship and you think, I'd rather talk to that guy or that girl instead of Pastor Corbett, they can help you too. And if not, they'll bring you to me. No, I'm kidding. They can help you too. But I want to encourage you, don't leave without talking to someone. Because the whole reason we're here is because we want you to know God And we want you to grow closer to him because we believe that it is the biggest decision you'll ever make. And we believe that if you want to live a truly fulfilled and satisfied life, it comes from knowing Christ and walking with him. But I also want to give the rest of our group a direct application. Tonight I'm giving you an immediate step that I want you to take as a result of this message. Sometimes it's like, hey, go home and tomorrow do this, and y'all go to sleep like me, and you forget what I even talked about. You're like, what did he say last night? What book were we in? All I remember is that joke about his kid picking up a box. Like, y'all know y'all have been there before. But if you're serious about this, here's what I want you to do. I want us to be a group that prays for one another because we're not in this alone. We're not walking through this life alone. We were created for community, and Scripture says that iron is supposed to sharpen iron. I want you to find another person. If you don't know their name, that's the starting point. So, like, don't go up and ask if you can pray for somebody and you don't even know what their name is. So say, hey, I've seen you here before, but I don't know your name. I want to know your name. But here's the application step. I want you to commit that for the next week, that every day you are going to pray for that person using this passage of Scripture as your guide. That I'm going to pray this for you every single day. I'm going to pray that God would give you wisdom so that you can walk in a manner that's worthy of Him. I'm going to pray that God would give you strength so that you can endure, so that you can persevere, so that you can resist temptation, and you can have patience when those people test you and try you and you don't fly off the handle and call them all the things that come into your mind. I'm going to give thanks for the work that God's doing in your life. And so before you leave this room tonight, there's an action step that you can take. And the cool thing about that is when you step out and take that step, there's going to be somebody every day that's praying for you. And Lord knows we all need more prayer. We can all use it. And so I want us to be a group that is striving to live for the Lord, but also it's not just about us. We're praying for someone else, and we're coming alongside of them. So I'm going to pray for us, then our worship team is going to come up and lead. And I encourage you, even if you want to go while we're leading worship, if there's somebody beside you and you're like, hey, that's the person I'm going to pray for this week, go over and talk to them. If not, before you leave the room, find somebody, connect with them, and commit that you're going to pray God's word over their life every single day for this next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness and your love. And God, I thank you for each person that's here tonight. I pray that you would take the truths of your word 
and that you would write them upon their hearts. And God, I pray that as we leave this place tonight, Lord, that we would just connect with others. And God, we would commit that we're going to walk on this journey together. That we're going to pray for one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to uplift one another. So that we can, by the power of your spirit, live lives that are worthy of you. So the world may see your love on display. And so the gospel may go forth. God, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you, God, I pray that before they leave tonight, that they would speak with someone. And we would have the opportunity to share with them how they can know you. God, we ask you to do an incredible work in this place. And we'll give you all the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were encouraged and convicted through this message. Want to know more information about Liberty Young Adults? Visit libertylive.church slash youngadults or follow us on Instagram at libertylya. See you next week.